Well, good morning, FBNO. It is good to see you here in your homes today. I know that this is a very unique circumstance and one that probably none of us have ever faced anything like that in our lives. I was thinking about it this week, and probably the closest thing to anything like this I've ever seen, and I, I say that simply because of things that got the attention of the entire country, things that got the attention of the entire planet. Probably the closest thing like this would be something like 9-11 that happened a long time ago now, but it certainly is a, a situation that's captured all of our attention, and rightly so. And so today we do something that none of us have ever experienced before, a worship service remotely with everybody in their homes and and uh, coming together and doing this over a live stream. We're grateful to God for the technology to be able to do this uh, because we still, despite the fact that we can't be face-to-face together here this morning, we still have the opportunity and the ability to be with each other remotely, to still offer instruction in the Word of God. I'm reminded this morning that, as on many occasions, the Apostle Paul, when he would want to be with the churches that he ultimately planted, uh, that he pastored in some way, that when he could not get to them, he took up the technology available to him at that moment, a pen and paper, and he wrote to them letters and gave them instruction on how they were to proceed in their life. And so that's not the same thing that we're doing today, but it is maybe perhaps the closest thing to it uh, biblically that we can see. So we hope that you're doing well today. Um, right, let me just go over a couple things here very quickly. We're going we're gonna to jump into the sermon in just a minute. You can go ahead and turn, if you will, to James chapter 3. We're going to be looking today, verse number 13 through 18. It's going to be a few minutes before I get there, though. So just go ahead and turn there, and we'll be there in just a minute. Uh, let me just say, if you're joining with us here today, we're so glad to have you joining in. Our members, any people that would otherwise be guests, folks from other churches that might be watching, we're grateful to have you tuning in with us and participating in this live stream service here together this morning. Here's what we want you to do during this moment. While you're watching, just so that we can replicate as much as possible a sense that we really all are still participating and together, what I want to ask you to do right now is even as I'm introducing this, I want you to go down into the comments section on the live stream and just say, hey, I'm here, or hey, I'm praying. Let us know you're here, just so that we can all see that we're all together in this and working together. So make sure that you make a comment on that. If you have a particular prayer request, a particular need of some kind, if something's not going well and you need help or assistance, throw that in there. You can also send us an email here at the church, and we'll do everything that we can to respond to those types of needs. So just send a comment. Let us know you're there. Let's pray together here this morning as we go through this together. Now, let me just say a few words in terms of guidance for all of us as a family during this season as we all go through something very unusual and very different, something we're not really used to at all. Um, Let me just encourage all of us to, to approach this season with a very balanced sense of calmness through it. I don't think that there's any mistaking the fact that this is a serious situation in our country and it is time for us to do our part and to be diligent to protect ourselves and to protect those around us that uh, have a particular risk factor with this disease that's going around our country and around our world right now. You might be inclined to say, well, man, my immune system's great. I'm strong. I'm young. I'm all of those things. And that's wonderful. And that's good. And we praise God for that. But also remember that we are around people that don't have that luxury and don't have that capacity right now. We want to be a good steward of this and we want to do everything we can to stop this. One way that we can all help is that since we've gone as far as we have in canceling athletics and and face-to-face interaction in schools and even large gathering groups, even in some cases like our own, our corporate worship service, the best thing for us to do is to go all in together. 
the sooner we all collectively buckle down and cut off the risk factors, the sooner we can get back to normal. And that's what we want to do. So I want to encourage you to be calm through this season. And at the same time, don't underestimate this, right? On the one hand, we don't want to panic. On the other hand, we don't want to be dismissive of this. We want to walk between the two of those calmly. We're not panicking. We're planning for everything. We're thinking through all the logistics of everything, and we're going to make the right calls case by case as we go forward to this. So please do your part in the places that you go and the things that you do while you're in those places. Obviously, you still have to go to the grocery store. Obviously, you've still got to get gasoline. Obviously, there is a degree to which none of us can completely stop our interaction with things outside of our homes, but you can be wise and you can be smart. Make sure you're not touching things unnecessarily. Make sure that you're washing your hands. Make sure that you're doing all your part to be as diligent as you possibly can. We will continue to monitor the situation in real time going forward. So what that means is, as we have other events coming up, other programming, we will be making calls on that and we will communicate those things out as soon as we know those things and we will make sure that you are in the loop on that. And rest assured, church, as soon as it is possible for us to resume face-to-face -face worship together, we're absolutely going to do it. And on that note, let me just say, this is a moment, we've got to take it seriously, but this is also a moment that we're going to make it through. God is on His throne. He's got this. He's given us wisdom. We're going to proceed with caution and with great wisdom. We're going to make the right call, and there will be a day where we get to come back together face-to-face uh, -to, -face to gather and resume normal activities. And so rest assured that that day is coming. Let's be calm. Let's do our part during this season. All right. We need to pray. That's one of the major things we need to do today together, uh, not just come and listen to the sermon on live stream, but we do need to join our hearts together all over the city, wherever you're at right now watching this. Uh, we need to join our hearts together and pray specifically for our country, our leaders, uh, our medical personnel, our folks that might already be sick. We need to do all those things today. So we want to pray for those things. Dr. Ronnie Floyd, the president of the uh, uh, executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention, put together a prayer list to guide our churches. And I'm just going to run through those. I'm going to add one thing to it this morning. Uh, but four things he asked us to pray for this morning. And in just a minute, I'm going to ask Dr. Rice if he'll come up and lead us in that prayer. But the four things he's asked us to pray for is, number one, ask God in His mercy, to stop this pandemic and save lives. That is absolutely something we should be praying for right now. We want to pray that God would just really do a work of grace in our life and in our midst and in our communities to save lives, to protect people through this time. So let's pray that God would show His mercy in that way. We need to pray for our president, Donald Trump. Uh, there is a lot of responsibility that falls on his shoulders right now to make the right call for this nation. On that same note, we want to pray for our governors. We want to pray for our mayors. We want to pray for our school leaders. Uh, we want to pray for our pastors. Any person in authority that has to make decisions over corporate gatherings or make decisions on behalf of a large group of people they need your prayers right now. As a president of a seminary, I spent basically my entire week this week in at least 32 hours worth of meetings, meeting after meeting, and sometimes very, very, very long meetings as we were getting new information in real time, situation changing from moment to moment to moment. And I can tell you firsthand, it is an exhausting process. And the folks that sit in those seats, starting with the president of our, of our nation, all the way down through the food chain there, uh, the people that sit in various forms of authority, they need your prayers. 
prayers right now. So pr- please do be praying for them that God would give them great wisdom and discernment as they make those decisions. The scripture also teaches us to, to number our days, to think carefully with a great heart of wisdom about how we live and the moment that we are in as a country right now and really as a planet is one of those moments where we are acutely aware of our eventual mortality. Uh, we're acutely aware of the seriousness of health situations. And so this is a moment for us to reflect very deeply, not just praying for wisdom as we navigate through it. It's a moment for us to pray just with an eye over the whole of life, where we are in life, where we're going in life, and what we're doing with our lives. And so we want to pray to that end. Fourthly, we want to ask God to protect our missionaries our pastors especially. Uh, these folks are in vulnerable places. Missionaries around the world are in some of the, some of the most dangerous spots where this epidemic has broken out. Uh, our pastors are called upon to give pastoral care to the sick, to those who are in the hospitals. They're going to be vulnerable. I want to add to that, not just our pastors and our missionaries, but also I want to pray for our doctors, our nurses, our medical personnel. I want to pray for the scientists right now that are in the laboratories working on on vaccines and other things. It's going to be a long process for them, but we need them all to be able to do their very, very best work right now. So we want to pray for those things here this morning. So would you join us in praying? Dr. Rice, would you come up? And as he comes up to lead us in that prayer, wherever you're at in the city, if you're at home right now, maybe you're at your office or you're somewhere else, would you just make sure that you turn off any music, ask the kids to stop throwing the ball, ask people to just come together, sit, be still, And let's actually join together in prayer. And let's pray that God would bless us during this moment and give us great grace. Dr. Rice, would you come pray for us? Let's pray. Our gracious, loving Father, we, Lord, we count it a privilege to be in your presence today. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your love, your your mercy, and your grace that you have, Lord, you've richly extended to each and every one of us. We give you praise for being Almighty God, who's in control of all things. Lord, we give you praise for being the great healer, the great physician. Lord, I pray that even in the midst of, uh, of the chaos that is, is just surrounding us, that, Lord, we would, we would recognize your holiness. Lord, we do pray that you would stop this pandemic right in its tracks. Lord, we do pray that you would spare lives, you would save lives. Lord, in our own community here in New Orleans and around the world, around the globe. Lord, I, I pray that, that, Lord, you would just give your people your wisdom. Lord, especially in places that, that are unequipped medically to deal with this virus. Lord, we pray that you would give your people wisdom. Your people, just the strength that they need to be on the front lines. Lord Jesus, we do pray this morning for the President of the United States for all of our Congress, Lord, for men and women that you've placed in leadership in this country, we pray that you would give them your wisdom. We pray that you would give them, Lord, the strength that they need in the midst of this chaos. Lord, I pray for the governor of Louisiana, John Bell Edwards. Lord, we pray for our mayor, Mayor Cantrell. Lord, we pray that you would give our our civic leaders your wisdom, your understanding, your favor, Lord, we lift them up to you. We pray that those who work so closely with them, that, Lord, they would rely fully upon you. Lord, I do pray for the the presidents of institutions, of schools, and, Lord, even down to the school board here in New Orleans. Lord, there there are so many people that you have put in places of authority and 
And Lord, those who are called to lead, Lord, I pray that you would give them diligence. Pray that you would give them your wisdom. Lord, in the end, we will trust you to do a great and mighty work, even amongst our leadership. We're reminded of Psalm 47, says, Clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with a jubilant cry, for the Lord the Most High is awe-inspiring, a great king over the whole earth. He subdues peoples under his feet and the nations under our feet. He chooses for us our inheritance, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God ascends among shouts of joy, the Lord with the sound of trumpets. Sing praises to God. Sing praise. Sing praise to our King. Sing praise. Sing a song of wisdom, for God is King of the whole earth. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. The nobles of the peoples have assembled with the people of the God of Abraham. For the leaders of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. Lord, for that we sing praises to you. Lord, I, I pray that as we continue, Lord, to, to seek ways to, to, to be wise in this time, Lord, I pray that you would help us as your people to have a, a true passion and a heart for those who are, who are suffering, for those who, who, are, Lord, who have so many needs at the moment. I pray that you would ever remind us that, that in the midst of a great physical need, there is a spiritual need. Lord, I pray that you would help your people to be bold witnesses that, Lord, as we serve faithfully around us, that we would point people to the truth that, that, Lord, there is life and life comes in Christ, through Christ and Christ alone. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be good stewards of all that you've given to us as your people. I pray, Lord, that you would help those around us realize, Lord, truly how fragile life is. And that, Lord, in the midst of a fragile life, that there is there's a promise of eternal life eternity in your presence. I pray that those who are lost would come to a realization that there is life in Christ and Christ alone. And I pray that we as your people would be faithful stewards and witnesses of the gospel. Lord, finally, we do pray that you would protect our missionaries and their families around the globe. Lord, in the midst of this global crisis, that you would use this to advance your good news to the whole, to the whole world. Lord, we do, uh, Lord, as, as Jamie has mentioned, Lord, we, we pray that you would, Lord, just give favor to our doctors and, Lord, to the physicians, to the nurses, Lord, to first responders, Lord, even right here in New Orleans that many are, are, are answering calls that they're unsure of, and it will result in, in them coming into contact with this virus themselves. Lord, I pray for protection upon them. Lord, I pray that through it all, that through it all, that you would spare life, that you would bring healing and strength, but Lord, most importantly, you would reveal yourself as holy God. Lord, we have full and complete confidence in you because, yes, indeed, we know that you reign on your throne today. This has not caught you off guard. You are not surprised. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us as your people just to continue to be faithful. Lord, I pray now as we enter into the time of studying your word that, it, Lord, it would challenge us, it would encourage us, and it would equip us to answer the call that you place on each and every one of us. And in the end, Lord Jesus, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of what seems to be uncertain, we'll be very careful to give you all the glory and honor and praise. Lord, we love you. We trust you. And again, we ask for you to move in our midst. 
And we ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Rice, Brother Bo, for coming up and leading us in prayer this morning. All right, James chapter 3. We turned there just a few moments ago, and we now take up the Word of God, just as we always do every Sunday, and give our thought and attention. I want to encourage you the same thing as we prayed just a moment ago. I want to just encourage you for this time. I know one downside about being maybe in a living room or a home or something else like that is there's all sorts of other things going on right now that could distract you, that you could just kind of have this on as in the backdrop. We don't want to do that. I want to encourage you to turn off anything else, if at all possible, and let's focus together today just on what the Word of God has to say. James chapter 3, verse number 13. Here is what the Scriptures say to us this morning. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by the good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for your grace and mercy to us. And we thank you, God, for the opportunity that we have now to join together, even remotely, God, to worship and to hear from your word. We pray that, God, you guide our time and our thought. God, do, these, do the things in these moments that you have done before in so many occasions as we've gathered together. God, even as we're spread out across the city and worshiping remotely, God, would you do in our hearts right now those great things of drawing us to yourself, of moving us to repentance, of helping us see the truth, and, Father, being challenged by your word. We love you. We ask you to bless us now. In this time, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me start off this morning by asking a question. The question is very simple. What if you were a fool and just didn't realize it? What if you were a fool and just didn't realize it? Surely there is a difference between true wisdom, which comes from God, and false wisdom, which comes from, as James tells us, the evil one. The book of Proverbs tells us this in Proverbs chapter 14, verse number 12. There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. That is to say, there's a way that all of us would be inclined to think naturally, somewhat dispositionally. It would be the wisdom that our peers and our friends and all of us around us would be inclined to follow. But the Bible tells us there is that way, and it seems right to us. Boy, it really seems right to us often. But it's actually a wisdom that's way ends in death. And so my question again for you is very simple. And I'm not trying to be hard charging or pointed when I ask this question. But it's an important question. What if at the end of the day, when it was all said and done, you really were a fool, but you just didn't realize it? The question I would want to ask is, how would I know? Is there a way for me now to examine myself, to consider myself, and to see if what I'm calling wisdom, what I think is right thinking in my own life, is actually true. Is there a way for me to evaluate 
my patterns and my rhythms and my dispositions in life, all of which that I think and I'm inclined to say are grounded in wisdom? Is there a way for me to evaluate that and see if it really is wisdom? Is there a way for me to know whether or not I'm a fool? I believe that the answer to that question is yes. There's absolutely a way for us to know. And I actually think that's precisely what James is answering in verse number 13 through verse number 18 here in chapter 3. He really sets in contrast. There's this juxtaposition, a comparison, a contrasting, if you will, of divine wisdom and demonic wisdom. The wisdom that is a true wisdom It's a wisdom that comes from God, and he basically what he does for us here in this passage, he gives us a description of the characteristics that mark that true wisdom. And then he also gives us a description of the characteristics that mark false wisdom. And I believe by implication throughout this entire text, there's a call to us now to evaluate ourselves and repent when and where we find this foolishness in our lives. So here's what we're going to do today. I'm going to first of all talk about what false wisdom is actually characterized by. Then we'll talk about what true wisdom, godly wisdom is characterized by. And then we'll ask the question, so what do we do about it now? So number one, the marks of false wisdom. The marks of false wisdom. We want you to make sure that you see verse number 14 through verse number 16, what false wisdom really looks like. Now the way the passage is structured, it starts off talking about true wisdom, God's wisdom, Then it transitions in the middle to this false wisdom, and then it returns back in verse number 17 and 18, spending a bit of time on what that true godly wisdom looks like. So I'm actually going to start with the middle part of this and talk about the marks of false wisdom. So this is what I believe James is doing here in in this part of the passage. He's essentially, as he makes this comparison between true wisdom and false wisdom, he takes up the issue of false wisdom and he describes what it's like. He describes the characteristics of it. Now, the characteristics, that's an interesting word to use here. We're going to see the characteristics of false wisdom, ungodly wisdom, and we're going to see the characteristics of true wisdom, godly wisdom, right? So we'll see, comparing and contrasting the characteristics of these things. As we do that, I think it's important to go ahead and introduce a term to us that we've talked about before. It's the concept of virtue. When we talk about the characteristics of a thing, We are simply talking about things true of an object. So, for example, here's a ball. That ball is red. That ball is three inches wide. That ball, so on and so forth. It has characteristics, things true of that object. What James is going to describe is the foolish person and the wise person and the characteristics, the things true of those objects, the foolish one and the wise one. Now, notice that both of them have characteristics. Some of those characteristics are difficult or destructive. They they tear down and they destroy. Some of those characteristics, they build up and they breathe life. This is, in short, the difference between vice and virtue. Both of them are characteristics. A vice is simply a characteristic that destroys, that deteriorates, or that rots. Decomposition comes from these. And virtues are characteristics that breathe life into an object. And I believe James is setting these two in contrast here. So as we look at the marks of false wisdom, look with me in verse number 14 through verse number 16. But if you have, so he starts off in verse 13. Some of you think that you have godly wisdom, but now verse 14. But if you have bitter envy, perhaps your translation translates that as jealousy. If you have bitter envy, self-seeking in your hearts, 
don't boast and lie against the truth. In other words, you can think that you're a wise person all you want to, but if your heart is filled with bitter envy and self-seeking, you're boasting and you're lying. And you're lying against the truth. In other words, no, it's not really true of you that you are wise. He says in verse 15, This wisdom does not descend from above, but it's earthly and sensual. It's demonic. So here's what I want you to see here. It's very, very interesting as he describes this, that he gives us a way of understanding it. And he characterizes this kind of wisdom as having two types of characteristics to it. The one who is motivated by foolish wisdom or worldly wisdom will have these two characteristics in him. Verse number 14, bitter envy and self-seeking. So again, that concept of bitter envy is the concept of jealousy. What is jealousy? It's when we crave a thing that we have no actual right to crave. For example, in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, and where the Ten Commandments are listed, one of the things we're commanded not to do is to covet your neighbor's wife. Why? What does that mean to covet? It means to desire her or him, to desire her or crave her. Why is that wrong? Simple. Because you have no right to her. You have no right to that relationship. You have no right to that kind of intimacy with that person. It, jealousy is a craving for something that you don't have a natural right for. It's a lack of contentment that now will manipulate and destroy things around it. So think about jealous people. What do they do? Why is it that jealousy is almost always thought of as a negative? To be clear, there are moments where jealousy is right and proper. When God is jealous for His people, for example, we take it that since God is perfect, He's not sinning or doing anything bad there. I take it that there's a time that a husband could be jealous, a wife could be jealous. If he or she is seeking satisfaction outside of that marital relationship, I would say the offended spouse has every right to have some form of jealousy in that moment. But most of the time, jealousy is thought of, and even in the Bible, described as a negative thing, as a bad thing, something to be avoided. Now, why? Because typically, the person who is motivated by jealousy will be the person that now manipulates and destroys and lies and does anything that he or she can do so as to accomplish the craving that they don't have a natural right to claim. So there's jealousy or bitter, bitter envy. And then there's self-seeking. At the core, listen, this is what I want you to see. This worldly wisdom, this wisdom of the devil, is a wisdom that is ultimately grounded in a self-serving, self-seeking motivation. He says that and makes that clear to us in verse number 14. And so the concept of selfishness is very simple, easy to understand, but it is deadly and it is wicked. It is the antithesis of everything that God created us and called us to be. We're to be a people that are selfless, not selfish. And so what we find here is a word of warning that ultimately worldly wisdom is motivated or characterized by jealousy and self-seeking. Now, one more thing about this before we, before we move on from that and consider some other passages. It's not just that this is how it's characterized. Look at verse 15. Verse 15, James makes it clear where this is coming from. So again, you may think of yourself wise 
But I'd ask this question. Is your wisdom motivated in jealousy? Is your wisdom motivated in self-serving? If that's you, now watch what he says in verse 15. This wisdom does not descend from above. In other words, the thing motivated you is not God. But rather, it's earthly, it's sensual, it's demonic. So what James is doing there in verse number 15 is he's helping us to identify what the source of that wisdom is. Let's be clear about it, folks. This is the wisdom of the world. This is the wisdom of the devil. How do I know that if it's present in me? Simple. Is jealousy what motivates me? Is self-serving what motivates me? If so, then repentance must come. James chapter 4, verse number 1 through 2. I'm not going to steal Dr. Rice's thunder for next week. But I do believe that in James chapter 4, he moves on from what he's just said here to now illustrate it a bit. And so listen to what he says. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Why? I mean, just pause for a minute. Consider your marriage. Where do the fights come from? Where do the arguments and disagreements come from? Consider a close friendship. Where do the arguments and the fights come from? What is it that causes that? Well, he answers it. Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you. You desire and you don't have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And he goes on to give further instruction about how we're to proceed through that. But in verse 1 through 2, one of the things he shows us here is that ultimately all of these tensions and divisions come because of selfishness in our heart. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 18 through 19, the Apostle Paul, I believe, makes a similar point. Brothers, join in following my example, he says, and note those who so walk as uh, you have a pattern from us. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you again, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Let me unpack what Paul means by that very quickly. What does he mean when he says these people are enemies of the cross because their God is their belly? Here's what he means by that. The thing that motivates them the most is their own satisfaction, like a hungry person. The thing that they care about the most, the thing that they worship at the most, the thing they will give themselves to completely is their satisfaction. Not other people's well-being. Not the interest of the cross of Jesus Christ. No, all they care about is what I want. For this person, it's me, 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 mine, mine, mine. He goes on to say, it's not only that their God is their belly, but listen, whose glory is their shame. What does he mean by that? It means this, that the very thing they should be ashamed of, their conduct, their behavior, their actions, are the very things they take pride in. They boast in. They indulge in. They celebrate all of these scandalous things instead of being ashamed of them. And what Paul wants us to see is that these people are ultimately enemies of the cross. Here's what I want you to see so far. There is a form of wisdom in this world that many people have. And they champion it, and they celebrate it, and they promote it, and they pass it around, and they encourage it, and they do all of those things. But it's not a true wisdom. It's a wisdom that is earthly. It is a wisdom that is worldly. It is a wisdom that comes from the demons, not from above. How do you recognize it? Is there bitter envy and is there self-seeking? Wisdom that operates on that chassis is not real wisdom at all. 
it is from the enemy. And we, the followers of Jesus Christ, should be the people that can recognize it, repent of it, and run from it. And instead run to something that looks very, very different. So, we turn now from the marks of false wisdom to the marks of godly wisdom. Verse number 13 and verse number 17 through 18. Notice what he says now. Verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? All right, you want to say that you're wise? You want to say that you have real understanding? Here's how we should proceed. Let him or her show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of worship. Let him do it, let him show it by the meekness of worship. I'm going to come back to that here in just a moment. Verse down, going down now to verse uh, 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then it's peaceable, then it's gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, and without hypocrisy. James lists eight characteristics of what godly wisdom looks like. And once again, their characteristics. And so here's what we want to see. First of all, those who have wisdom from God show it by the way they live their lives. Second of all, they show it through these spiritual virtues or these spiritual characteristics. What are those characteristics? Again, verse 17 through 18. He lists them out. Purity. Now, what does he mean by purity? Typically in the church today, when we talk about purity, we relate that to sexual purity. And I would argue that certainly you could do that with this passage. However, all indications are that the purity described here is broader than that. It's a purity that simply speaks of a devotion to God, a loyalty to God that is unmixed with any other types of idolatry. So in other words, my heart is pure in that sense and that I only love God, I only worship God, and I'm not constantly getting tangled up in and ensnared in all these other cares of the world that distract me and pull me back from God. It's an easy thing to do, isn't it? It's an easy thing to do for every single one of us on a daily basis. We have the ability to pull away from God and love other things. So this heavenly wisdom is first characterized by a purity, which I I understand to be an unmixed loyalty to God or devotion to God. It's also marked by peace. Note what he says. This wisdom that is from above is first pure, and then it is peaceable. Which is to say, the person that really truly has that wisdom from God will be a person that brings peace, not hostility. He'll be a person that de-escalates scenarios and situations, not escalates them. You know what I'm talking about. There's some people, it just seems like, man, every time there's a situation, their tendency, their propensity is to escalate things, to make the mountain out of a molehill, to take it to the absolute farthest extreme that we could take it, and to go to war over it. No, no, no. That's not godly wisdom. Godly wisdom is peaceable. It looks for a way to de-escalate the situation. And it doesn't mean when we talk about de-escalation, it doesn't mean that we're not dealing with real issues. No, you, you learn the ability to deal with the real issue, but to do it in a way that de-escalates, not escalates. So this person is pure. This person is peaceable. This person will be marked by, characterized by, or have the virtue of gentleness. Man, i got to tell you that we are a people that can be extraordinarily harsh. We can be quick. We can be harsh, we can be rough, we can be flippant, 
We can be sarcastic and all of those things are destructive and hurtful to people. But listen, godly wisdom will be a wisdom that ultimately translates in my life and in your life with a disposition of gentleness. This wisdom is from above. It's first pure. It is peaceable. It is gentle. It is, listen to this, willing to yield. Do you remember one of the characteristics of ungodly wisdom? Bitter envy and self-seeking. Someone who is self-seeking is not someone who's willing to yield. Someone who is self-seeking, for them, it always has to be their way, doesn't it? Well, it's my way or the highway. They're prone to, to demand, demand, demand their own way. But look, real wisdom, godly wisdom, is willing to yield. That is to say, it's, it's prepared to say to another person, you know what? It doesn't have to be my way. It's willing to be selfless in these moments, not selfish in these moments. And so it's a selflessness that's envisioned there. This wisdom that's from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield. Listen to this, full of mercy. Full of mercy. The reality of it is, is that you and I every single day live and function with broken people all around us. Heck, we're broken people. We deal with this on a daily basis, and we are around people that need desperately mercy, but yet we can be quick to judge. We can be quick to throw away. We are in the middle of a throw-it-away culture where if somebody does something wrong, man, redemption and forgiveness is not on the radar. That person is forever put aside, and we should never think highly of that person again. And yet I say by that standard, it is a standard that is completely unsustainable. We cannot sustain ourselves, our bodies, our functions with that disposition. We cannot do that. Listen, the real wisdom is full. It doesn't just say it has mercy. It says it's full of mercy. Sort of suggesting an overflow, an abundance of mercy here. I love this next one. Good fruits. It's almost as though James just says, and, oh, by the way, let me just give you a catch-all here to, to include them all. And then, oh yeah, two more that I can think of specifically. Watch this. Without partiality. So the, the real wisdom from God is impartial. It doesn't give favor to this person over that person. It doesn't judge a person or esteem a person based off of worldly calculations. We've already seen that fleshed out and spelled out pretty clearly for us in chapter 2. Remember this? The two men coming in and gathering in your assemblies. One's rich and wealthy and the other one's not. Look, look, he makes this point throughout his epistle here. True wisdom from God, true godliness is not partial. And then he gives us one more. It does not have hypocrisy. There's a sincerity to this person. Hypocrisy. To look one way on the outside. To be something very, very different on the inside. To be this way publicly and to be that way privately. No, sincerity is what you see is what you get in good times and in bad, in public and in private, on the outside and on the inside. Listen, what James is doing here in verse number 17 and 18, verse number 17 in particular, is he's describing for us very clearly, this is what godly wisdom looks like. So, so far, here's what I want you to see. We have one model that's worldly wisdom. It's characterized by, by selfish ambition and it's characterized by jealousy. 
then by contrast, we have real wisdom from God, and it's characterized by these eight things, purity, peace, gentleness, selflessness, mercy, good fruits, impartiality, and sincerity. This is how the two of these are contrasted with each other. But now here's the big question for us today. What do we do about it? What do we do about false, ungodly wisdom in our lives? I believe that James is answering that question in verse number 13. Verse number 13, James gives us what I believe to be a pattern that you can actually find throughout the Old and New Testament. We have an abundance of Scripture that will walk through a pattern that I believe he identifies for us here. And what's interesting here is he starts in reverse. He who is wise and understanding among you, some think you are, well now watch this, let him show by good conduct. So there's works, there's a behavior, there's a conduct that is expected here. Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Now, and your translation, that phrase there, the meekness of wisdom, is variously translated and understood. Sometimes it's translated meekness of wisdom. Sometimes it's translated as the humility of wisdom. In the NIV, it translates it this way, a humility that comes from wisdom. And that really captures the idea here of what James is getting at. So there's a humility that comes from wisdom. But I actually back up before that. There's a good conduct that's done from a humility that comes from wisdom. So now flip that around and we understand the order. And this is the pattern that I want us to see by way of application today. It starts with wisdom. It proceeds to humility, which proceeds to godliness. It starts with wisdom. It proceeds to humility, which proceeds now to godliness. That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? The idea here is that humility is what accompanies wisdom or even proceeds forth from wisdom. Is that right? That if I have wisdom, that it will generate, wisdom will generate within me a humility? I think that's absolutely right. Proverbs chapter 9, verse number 10, listen to what it says. You've heard this passage many, many, many times throughout your life and and, and ministries. Proverbs 9, 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That is to say, the person that's really, truly wise will be the one that fears God, right? There's a humility that comes from this wisdom, in other words. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Which is to say, man, the wise person will be wise because he understands who God is. It goes on, Proverbs chapter 15, verse 33, the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. Look, it just makes sense. If you're wise enough to understand who God is, the omnipotent Holy One over all, if you're wise enough to wrap your head around that reality, that God is wise, that He is holy, that He is omnipotent, and that you're a sinner, if you're wise enough to recognize those realities, I suggest to you that will generate a posture and a disposition of humility in our lives. So wisdom generates humility. But now watch this. Humility before God generates godliness. Humility before God generates godliness. Does the Bible say that? Yeah, it does. Let me give you a host of passages. Psalm 138, verse 6. Listen to this. 
All on the idea that humility before God generates godliness. Watch this. Psalm 138.6 Though the Lord is on high, yet He regards the lowly. But the proud He knows from afar. Meaning, the lowly He delights in and draws to Himself. The, the proud, He just pushes them aside. Proverbs, 30, th- uh, Proverbs 3, verse 34 Surely He scorns the scornful, but He gives grace to the humble. Matthew 23, verse number 12, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. God takes those and delights in the humble, and he will exalt them. But it gets better. Isaiah 57, verse 15, listen to this. Thus says the Lord, the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with Him who is contrite and humble in spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. In other words, listen, I sit enthroned with those who humble themselves. I invite them in with me. I pour my spirit out upon them. I revive them. So my point is, from all of these passages, humility generates godliness. Humility generates, brings grace. Humility brings the delight of God, communion with God. There's so much fruit that comes from a humble disposition. So therefore, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, listen to this. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. What's my point? My point is this. Wisdom generates humility, and humility generates godliness. And so how do we put all that together today, and what do we do about it? I would simply say this. Today, as we've gone through the text, and we've identified what the marks of ungodly wisdom looks like, this selfish envy, this self-seeking, if that's characteristic of you, then repent Repent how? First of all, by receiving and accepting the wisdom of God. That is to say, affirm with Him. Posture yourself before Him in agreement with His text and what He says to us. And as you do that, humble yourself before God. And there as you continually humble yourself before God, the Spirit of God will renew and restore. Understand that the work of renewal in our life that is so desperately needed is not something that I can engineer. It's not something that I can create. It is something that only God can do. And so we need to posture ourselves before Him with the right posture such that He can indeed do those things in our life. So let me ask you these questions today as we close. Number one, which portrait best describes your life today? Is it the portrait that James first paints of worldly wisdom, of demonic wisdom, the portrait of jealousy, the portrait of selfish ambition, the portrait of self-seeking and self-centeredness, does that portrait best describe your life today? Or is it that second portrait, the portrait that is marked by purity, peace, gentleness, selfishness, or selflessness, mercy, good fruits, impartiality, and sincerity? Which of these two portraits marks your life today? And if it's the portrait of selfishness and jealousy, then what's keeping you this day from repenting of that selfishness and posturing yourself before God with humility and allowing His Spirit to renew you? 
Let me just add this one word of instruction. That posture of submission and that posture of humility cannot just be a flash in the pan, a one-off type of thing. It's got to become the new rhythm and the new pattern of your life. Because when we walk before God with great humility, the Scriptures are overwhelmingly clear. God delights in us and will pour His grace out on us into our lives. May we be the people that humble ourselves before God and allow the Spirit of God to work in us. Father, we thank you so much for your love and for your grace to us. We thank you for a day that we've had just to stop what we're doing at home, uh, pause everything and hear from your word. We pray that, God, you would indeed encourage us this day spiritually, that you would renew and revive our spirit. And Father, in the midst of all that's going on in our country and our world right now, God, we do pray for protection for all of us, for our city, for our state, for our nation, for this world. God, would you work now. God, we as a people humble ourselves before you and we call out on you. God, help us. God, give us great wisdom. Give us great instruction through our leaders. Give our leaders great wisdom. And Father, may we be wise. Encourage us this day. Bless us this day, we pray. We love you and we give ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.